Hey, Shabbat Shalom and greetings from the 12 tribes scattered abroad to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. I was blessed to be on Shabbat Fellowship this morning. Remember, you can connect with your brethren the world over every Shabbat going to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. You can go to the Facebook page for Shabbat Fellowship and sign up for that group and make connections in your area, in your country, the world over. We're on the 21st day of the Ohm account, fast approaching Shavuot. This is a time where Yahweh draws close to his people and his people draw close to him. This is a time when we are challenged, we are sieved, we are refined because we are like grain that is being hard-pressed and turned and refined, ready to be that one lump that is ready to be kneaded and baked down and offered as a offering unto Yahweh. Remember the scripture says that many are called, but few are chosen. What that talks about is how the priest would go across the Kidron Valley, and they would go and select um, 10 omers worth of um, barley, and they would, they would gather it all up, and they would press it, refine it, bake it down, grind it, and by the time they got with, through with the refining process, there was only one omer left, meaning many are called, but few will make it through this difficult time, make it through the pressing to be worthy and fit to be ready to see their king as a living sacrifice. That's what this week's Torah portion is about. Akare Mot, Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 16. But really, Paul epitomizes this perfectly in Romans chapter 12 because we know there's been a transference of priesthood Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, that those old sacrifices, yes, they were shadow pictures and literal and commandments of Yahweh, but it's been transferred to the Melchizedek realm, but we are to now be living sacrifices, hard-pressed and refined through fire and through trials. That's what the whole count of the Omer is from, of course, the first barley harvest to Shavuot, the wheat harvest. I want to read the 21st day's reading today, in particular, Psalm 121. What we like to do is every day of the Om account, we read Psalm 1 on day 1, Psalm 51 on day 1, and Psalm 101 on day 1. And then on day 2, Psalm 2, Psalm 52, Psalm 102, Psalm 3, Psalm 53, Psalm 103. And by the time you get to Shavuot, you've read through the whole of the Psalms thrice daily. Today's reading, let's read the third section, and it is Psalm Tehillim 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from Yahuwah, who made the heavens and the earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Meaning, stand on your square. This is all a chess game. They're trying to move you off your square so they can come around and take your queen. But you need to stand on your square as a king, as a priest, after the order of Melchizedek, because you know that ultimately Yahuwah has got your back. He's in control. Yahuwah is your keeper. Yahuwah is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Yahuwah shall preserve you from all evil. Everything that's going on out there right now, Yahuwah will preserve you from it. He shall preserve your soul. Yahuwah shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Every time you leave the house, every time you come back, Yahuwah is on the throne and we are his people. We're on the 21st day of the Om account. We are living sacrifices. That's the call. Let's begin with our text in Leviticus, Vaikra, chapter 16. We are looking at the altar of sacrifice, the living sacrifice. We know those that aren't willing to be refined will end up like Nadab and Abihu. They will be burnt and nothing shall remain. They won't be chosen. They may have been called to the priesthood. But they weren't chosen as the living sacrifice because they were not able to stand on their square. They got moved off, they got pushed off, and they got vaporized. And Yahweh spake unto Moshe after the death, Akare Mot, there's the Torah portion, the title, after the death, Akare Mot of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before Yahuwah and died. And Yahuwah said to Moshe, Speak to Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the Kadosh place, within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Ahran come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with the linen girdle and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are Kadosh, holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. There is our foundational text. What are we talking about today? The sacrifice, living sacrifices being bound unto Yahuwah. And Paul says, and he used sacrificial language in the Brit Hadashah when he says that I'm in chains for Messiah. Oh, you go, well, that's because he was in prison in Rome. No, he's talking about the cords that bind 
the sacrifice to the altar. I'm in bonds. I'm in, I'm bound as a living sacrifice. I'm a bond servant. This is all sacrificial language. And this is what we're going to look at today. Give me a minute while I adjust my, uh, my cables here. I feel like I'm wired, but I'm not wired into the matrix. That for sure. I'm unplugged for sure and for certain. Are you unplugged? I hope you are. It's a real thing, you know. It's a real thing. Let's look at some foundational texts. You can stick your finger in these particular portions. Shemot, Exodus chapter 38. I'll be pulling from there. I'll be also pulling from Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be pulling quite a bit from 1 Kings chapter um, 1, um, in particular, verse 50 around there. And I'll be looking at Second Samuel's chapter, Second Samuel, excuse me, chapter 24 um, and verse 24. Let me begin just giving you a little foundation about the actual furniture itself that we would be dealing with after the death of Nadab and Habihu, because they went in and the furniture was organized in a particular way. They had to wear linen garments because I believe that the energy that was manifest through all of the furniture, its materials, metallics, golds, bronze, silvers, and the linen and the non-mixing of wool and linen was a frequency and energy. And when they did something strange, that disrupted the frequency pattern and woof, they were vaporized. Something like what the New World Order is currently trying to do to figure out how to do many of these wildfires we've had over the past um, few years. These are DE weapons, direct energy weapons. They are messing around with the frequencies. This is a real thing. When the children of Israel went around seven times and blew the shofar at a certain pitch, and there were so many shofarim, that frequency pitch just blasted the rock and it disintegrated. It's all about direct energy weapons, the shofar being the first direct energy weapon used against the inhabitants of Jericho. What a great direct energy weapon we need to be using ourselves. Exodus 38. And he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length and five cubits the width of it. It was four square and three cubits the height of it. And he made the horns of it on the four corners of it. And the horns of it were of the same. And he covered it with brass. And he made all the vessels of the altar, the pots and the shovels and the basins and the flesh hooks and the fire pans. All the vessels of it he made of brass. And he made of the altar a brass grated network. So far, what are we seeing? We're seeing a lot of brass, which is akin to what in the scriptures? Judgment. So this piece of furniture is associated with judgment. And the reason Nadab and Avihu were destroyed is because they lacked discernment and they erred in judgment. My people perish for what? For lack of wisdom. We err in judgment because we are not being like the Bereans and seeking the scriptures daily to see what these things are saying. 
Continuing on, we see in verse 4 of Exodus chapter 38, and he made the altar a brass grated network under its rim midway from the bottom, and he cast four rings from the four ends of the grate of brass to be places for the poles. And he made the poles of acacia wood and covered them with brass. And he put the poles into the rings of the sides of the altar to lift it. He made the altar hollow with boards. Of course, this was placed within and without. Now, the tabernacle, we have to think about this as Nadab and Abihu boldly went into this structure. They were unprepared for what happened when they were not making righteous judgments. They messed with the energy field. Now, there was a single entrance to Yahuwah, very specific. Enter through the narrow gate. There is a single entrance to Yahuwah. It always was that way, and it always will be that way. There are not multiple ways to get into the presence of Yahuwah. The tabernacle reflects that clearly. There's one door. You have to enter in through the door to get to his mercy. Otherwise, if you try to come in by any other way, what did Yahushua say? They're thieves and robbers. You must come through the door, the door, of course, the gate. Now, we know that Yahushua is the fulfillment, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, of this whole Yom Kippur service that is laid out in Akaremo, because he is that door, he is that gate that gives you the access into the presence of Yahuwah and allows you to pass through judgment without getting smoked like Nadab and Avihu and come to Yahuwah's mercy. Isn't that all that we want in life? I mean, everything else is folly. I'm sorry. Everything else is folly. All we want to know, all I want to know, I hope you want to know the same thing, is have I got permission to come in to the tabernacle of Yahuwah, bypass his judgment and come to his mercy. That is what I just read to you in Psalm 121. That is the life that we are called to. But it is a narrow way. It is a small road. It is a small gate. It is the entrance to Yahuwah. It is written, verily, 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 I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came to me before, all that ever came before, excuse me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall pass the judgment seat. He shall pass the altar of judgment. He shall be saved and he shall go in and out. In and out, and I will be with him. I just read that to you in Psalm 121, because we will find pasture. That means we're going to be connected to the land. We're to be connected to the land, people. We're not to be connected with anything out in the oceans, because that is a storm of chaos, and it's unstable. We have to enter into the presence of Yahweh, the tabernacle through the proper way. 
Otherwise, we're a bunch of thieves and robbers. It's quite plain. Now, once you have entered the proper way, then where would we find ourselves once we've gone into the tabernacle through the door? What was the first thing that you would come and you would be confronted with when you came into the tabernacle? What's the first thing? I mean, think about it. How many times when we were in the church, people were like, well, what kind of program do you have? What, what kind of program do you have for the children? Um, what, what's your men's retreat like? And what, it's all about bread, isn't it? Bread, feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm here to be fed. I need to go to church to be fed. You would think that the first piece of furniture was the table of showbread. That's how the traditional anti-Torah church teaches. Come and be fed on Sundays. No, the first piece of furniture is not the table of showbread, no matter how much you would like to be fed. You cannot bypass the first piece of furniture. The first thing to greet us, once we enter through the door, which is Yahushua, is what? The altar of sacrifice. Oh, you mean I've got to give up something now that I've come to know Yahushua? Yes, you do, Matthew. Really? Yes, you do. The first thing that I'm called to do as a believer is to sacrifice. It is not about trying to get fed. I need to go to church to get, well, come to church and get fed. We've got men's Bible study on Wednesday night. We've got women's Bible study. We've got youth group. There's a great program for the children. And that's how most people are taught. Because they never studied the tabernacle. We must find ourselves, brethren, at a place of sacrifice. We must. Nothing of real value comes to us without sacrifice, does it? Anything in value, of value in life, it costs you something. Right? Those things that do come to us without real sacrifice will never appreciate and will end up becoming indifferent to. Right? True regenerated faith is one that recognizes a priority of sacrifice and the willingness to give rather than to get. The person that comes to the altar of sacrifice is willing to surrender, is willing to give up, willing to give up sin and to gain eternal life rather than hold on to the world and lose their soul. I'm at this point in my life of reflection and realizing the imperative call of sacrifice because I've got ideas and ideals and I think, oh, this is my goal and this is what I plan to do. But I need to be willing to sacrifice my ideals. I need to be able to transcend my hopes. I need to be able to sacrifice my goals and I need to accept, and I know you hear me that saying that all the time, I need to accept providence. Because I believe that Yahweh works providentially in all of our lives. If we have ears to hear and eyes to see, we need to accept the tide of our life. I need to accept the tide of my life as my reaction now should be resolute 
no matter what tide comes to me. My reaction should always be joyous because if I'm sad, then I'm not accepting because I have to realize that now, no matter what happens to me in life, it's providence that Yahweh is using it to give me an opportunity to accept it and to grow from it. It's a sacrificial character that I'm being called to because it lays down what I would normally want to fight for, which I've been doing my whole life. I get to lay down my will. I get to lay down tension. I get to lay down. It's a must for us to approach Yahuwah through his proper order of presence. For he who accepts us requires us to likewise practice acceptance. I'm being somewhat religiously philosophical with this week's portion. But there is no way to bypass the altars of sacrifice just because you want to get to the showbread. It is the direct path to Yahweh's presence, is sacrifice. Self-preservation is natural. Oh, I need that bread. I've got to go and take some bread off the showbread. I need to be fed. I need to be fed. But self-preservation is always confrontational. It's the controversy of arguments and fighting. But self-sacrifice is supernatural. It transcends that. It's absolutely amazing. Look at the service. Now, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, if someone needed Yahuwah's protection, and do we need Yahuwah's protection in this crazy world? For sure and for certain. Because everybody's trying to encroach upon our borders of sovereignty. But we need Yahuwah's protection. And if we really understand how to gain Yahuwah's protection, then if you want Yahuwah's protection in the Torah, then where do you go? You run to the altar of sacrifice. That's where you go. And you bind yourself to it. And therefore, you get a reprieve and mercy. We must take hold of the horns of the altar. What do I mean? Now this is my second text. Melachim Aleph, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 49, is a perfect example of where we go when we're in trouble or when they're putting out mandates and executive orders and all this stuff that is in trying to, attempting to encroach upon your sovereignty. What do you do? What do you do? 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 49. Now, the guests that were with Adoniah were afraid, and they rose up and went every man his way. So, first of all, the globalists, or in this case, the enemies there, what do they kind of do? Get that fear up. Let's stoke the fear, stoke the fear, and then everybody will scatter. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. What happened? Okay, I will continue. I will continue. First Kings chapter 2, verse 23. Then King Solomon swore by Yahweh, saying, Elohim, do so to me and more also. If Adonijah has not spoken this request against his own life, he wanted King David's young virgin. 
to become his wife. Now, therefore, as Yahuwah lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house, and he promised, Adoniah shall be put to death this very, very day. Now, Joab was connected with this whole incident. But he wasn't innocent. And look what happened in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 28. Are we still good, Moshe? Excellent, excellent. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 28. Joab, who was not innocent, however, we see that he was killed. Then news came to Joab, Joab, for Joab had followed after Adoniah, though he did not follow after Absalom. And Joab, Joab, fled to the tabernacle of Yahuwah. And what did he do? He went in and got some showbread, did he? No, he went straight and took hold of the altar, the horns of the altar. And it was told to King Solomon that Joab had fled to the tabernacle of Yahuwah. And see, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Beniyahu, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go and kill him. Well, what's happening here? Taking hold of the horns of the altar symbolized what? It symbolizes you and me being willing to be bound. I'm a bondservant. Romans 12. As Paul saw the last time, the days of his life fastly approaching, he knew that he was in a time of reprieve when he was in bonds in Rome. He knew this was Yahweh's time of reprieve for him, for him to bear forth the fruits of repentance. It symbolized him and here us being willing bound sacrifices. Because the horns is what was used to bind the sacrifice to the altar. It literally meant you made yourself the sacrifice on that altar by your own will. So someone who did this had to be treated very carefully. When you and I accept Whatever providence brings to us, even if it's absolute chaos and mayhem, and we become living sacrifices and we don't argue, then it puts us spiritually in a place, and it does work in the natural realm, where we have to be now treated very very carefully. And the world recognizes this. Because you have put yourself in a position where you are willing to be examined. Are you really innocent of the guilt? Are you really ready to be dealt with by your Creator? Because a judgment was rendered over them only only after careful consideration of truth, which was established on the testimony of two or three. Because the facts, the facts are on the moon. Why would you argue the facts? 
The facts are on the moon. Who cares? It doesn't matter. That's where all of the controversy is. Truth is established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And without that, it's all fiction. All fiction. Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 24, the word continues to say, The king said to Aravanah, No, but I will surely buy it from you at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings to Yahuwah my Elohim, of which that costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the cattle for 50 shekels of silver. This ties in because nothing that doesn't cost is of value. You have to have value, a consideration, for it to be a binding contract. There has to be an exchange, something of value. David desired to build an altar to sacrifice, to worship Yahweh, but he says he couldn't accept it for free. The land and the sacrifices from Arana, he would not offer a sacrifice to Yahweh that cost him nothing. I hope you're getting what I'm laying down today. Because this is our calling, this is our reprieve, and it's going to cost us something. But it's worth it to me. (coughs) Cheap faith doesn't work. Cheap faith doesn't work. A commitment to Yahusha that is without sacrifice, is that really a commitment? That's what the Christian church is teaching. That's not really a commitment, is it? If you're not sacrificing, then how is that a commitment? It must cost if it's to pass the kingdom refining test. That's what the count of the Omer is. It's to see if we have the stamina to be refined from the many are called to the few are chosen. I don't want to just be called. I want to be chosen. That means I've got to be able to get through the fire. Our walks can sometimes be tough. There's not many people living the type of faith that you and I have that's real, that is Torah, that is Yahusha, that is Malkizedek. It's tough. It's trying. It's not common. But sacrifices are very real. And they are not just the appearance of sacrifices. They have to have absolute value and substance. A Torah faith is very real, but it cannot just have the appearance. It must have a real sacrificial value to it. Our faith to Yahweh will call, I believe, for frequent sacrifices. And it's sacrifices of the old man. It's sacrifices, but the value that this gives to our witness is supernatural. Our faith and the quality of our, listen, our faith and the quality of our spirituality is only as good as the sacrifices we're willing to make. Hmm. We can't bypass the place of sacrifice, even though we want to get, feed me, I want the bread, I want to go straight to, I mean, I do. I want the showbread. Give me the showbread. It's so much easier. I'm hungry. I need to be fed. Feed me. But we can't bypass the place of sacrifice and expect to find ourselves basking in the presence of Yahuwah, can we? 
I mean, there were certain materials that was used in this whole altar, and you can get that from the text I read you in Exodus chapter 38, verse 1, and extended further on. But one of them, let's think, acacia wood. Now, this wood, this wood was used, I mean, the acacia thorn tree, you see those up in near En Gedi, and the thorns are about three or four inches long. And that acacia thorn tree, that was what was wrapped around Yahusha's head as the crown of thorns. But then they also would pluck those thorns off and they would use that to scar the animal skin on which the word, the Torah, would be written. So it wouldn't be all higgledy-piggledy. Even today, if you go into a synagogue and you open up a Torah skull, you'll see that the, the, the skin is scarred. Well, that would be scarred with the acacia tree. Now, it would also, the acacia tree would be woven into baskets. And that basket, that acacia tree, was on the head of who? The baker. And even Jonah, when he was out there in the waters, and he was wrapped in weeds, I dare say, that he was most probably wrapped in some kind of acacia that got washed out into the ocean. Because this all prefigures Mashiach being a living sacrifice. Because this acacia wood, this is the basic material of the altar, but this is a very unique kind of wood. And it's a tree that grows in the desert and it can survive even the severest conditions. Drought, burning heat. It is one of the hardest trees on earth. Sturdy, stout, the acacia thorn bush. It's almost indestructible. This is how we are to be called to live as living sacrifices. We are to be immune to the diseases of the world, immune to the insects and the viruses of the world because of the way we live. I believe that Yahweh has given us all the ingredients within our body and his creation to heal ourselves. I don't believe we need to go to mystery Babylon to get their soup. I really don't. It's almost completely this tree. This tree is so hardy and so ruddy that it's almost completely immune from insects and from rot. And there's a lot of rot out there in mystery Babylon. The grain on this wood is so gnarled and twisted that it is so durable. It's akin to eternal right? It's like it's eternal. It's a shadow of eternal, if you ask me. And of course, this wood was covered in brass or bronze because it symbolized being able to withstand the judgment. Most metals that were used outside the tabernacle were in fact made from bronze. What's that speaking to? Because if I decide to go back into mystery Babylon and I decide to depart from being a living sacrifice outside the tabernacle, that's where the judgment is. Judgment is outside the tabernacle. All of the furniture, most of it, not all, was made of bronze or brass outside the tabernacle. You should go outside. That's where the Come into my house and dwell in my sanctuary. And that's where the safety is. The altar of Yahweh's judgment it is the altar of the sacrificial animal. Romans 12. We are to present ourselves to Yahweh for judgment. I don't want to be judged by the world. 
Because they are merciful. They don't know how to administer justice justly. I would much rather have the judgment and mercy and justice of Yahuwah any day. Where do you want to get the judgment? Me? I'm going in and I'm going to accept everything because then I'll get Yahuwah's judgment. But if I go out there and argue, then I get their judgment. Don't want it. Don't need it. I have a higher judgment. But we're all going to be judged. But it's better to judge yourself than have the heathen judge you. The altar of Yahuwah's judgment it is on this altar that the sacrificial animal was presented for Yahweh's judgment to be removed. What does this prefigure? It prefigures the removal of our own judgment as we return to Yahweh. Now, there were four horns that would come off of this altar that were used to bind the animal to the altar. There was a horn on each corner of the altar, which is very telling because there was no way to approach the presence of Yahweh within the tabernacle and um, skit around and bypass this altar. It confronted you. Levi, question? Anything at all? Sure? Okay. Not laughing. No, not laughing here. Do you need to separate? Okay, good. See, now I've lost my whole track. My whole track. I'll get it back. Oh, and the elder brother is looking at the younger brother. Oh, because he's been in that position before. Mm. If I had an acacia thorn bush right now, what I would do with it. What I would do with it. See, now I'm back on track. Okay, so there's no way that you could approach the presence of Yahuwah within the tabernacle and bypass this altar. Because it's the first thing that we're confronted with when we enter the courtyard. So how, my question is, how can we continue towards Yahuwah without coming first to the place of sacrifice? It's not authentic faith if, we're not, if we haven't confronted that. And that is what I'm seeing so much on these Facebook posts of all this... Christian evangelism, not to throw Christianity under the bus, but people are being duped that you can have a relationship without sacrifice. And it's just not true. It's commitments. It's about being in bonds. It's about these metaphors that, of course, are metaphors of true things that are in the Torah. Paul used this very language Bonds, bond servant, living sacrifice, because any other route will mean impurity and judgment. And that's what happened to Nadab and Avihu. They tried another route and it ended up in judgment. Faith has to be bound. Faith has to be burnt. Faith has to be refined. Faith has to evidence sacrifice. What am I willing to lay down? What am I willing to surrender? Only this is an authentic faith. And these are the things that, that are vexing to me as I get older and older. 
There's so much symbolism when we look at the sacrificial system and Leviticus chapter 16 and the artifacts and furniture because the wood, the wood of the altar, it symbolizes the quality of our sacrifices to Yahuwah. Inauthentic wood, inauthentic faith couldn't have survived the constant fires of the altar, could it? It would have been cheap sacrifices, and I'm sorry to offend some of you, but cheap sacrifices for Jesus just are not sufficient. They will be burnt up. It has to be an enduring, hardy wood of the acacia wood, which is clothed in bronze, meaning it is self-judging. We have to self-judge. It's not about me judging you. I have to self-judge because I have to be the master of my own tree. We are all trees. People are trees. It's about me self-judging and self-sacrificing. The bronze stands for judgment. We have to judge our own faith by the way we live sacrificially. We can't skip steps. Don't obfuscate the altar service. If we try to live a faith which bypasses this place of sacrifice, what will end up with us? It will end up just like Nadab and Abihu. Smoked. Yahweh does require sacrifice. And sacrifice means death. Oh my goodness, what have we got to die to? We've got to die to sin, got to die to my ideals, maybe die to my goals die to my doctrines that's a good one definitely need to die to my doctrines die to my calendar because you know it's going to be wrong somebody else is going to come along with a better one and that's fine because then it'll be their opportunity to die to their calendar but is anybody willing to no because all of your doctrines you're not willing to die to die to our opinions die to our ideas how about this? Maybe I should die to the way I think I deserve to be treated. Well, I, de I deserve to be treated better. You know what I deserve? I deserve to burn in hell. But thank Yahuwah for his mercy and judgment. Let's get a reality. Well, that's not fair. Fairness doctrine comes from Satan. Life's not fair. Get over it. Pull your bootstraps up and bind yourself to the altar of sacrifice. It's all about our order of approach. The first stopping place after entering the gate that assures us that we are going to approach the right order of service is entering through the door and the narrow gate, the place of sacrifice. Because in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 50, the narrow road is the place of sacrifice. Any other road of faith that bypasses this altar is broad and it leads to Nadab and Avihu. Teaching a faith that expects no sacrifice by the individual is like hollow wood. Once it gets hit with the heat, it just explodes and scatters. Many are called, but few are chosen. Shallow, hollow, counterfeit wood will not be able to be burnt. Acacia wood can be burnt, smoked, 
whipped, beaten, crushed. It can be judged by the world and it will even accept Yahuwah's judgment and it will thrive and survive because it is assured of its salvation. It is assured of its position, but it is willing to be more sanctified. We are saved, sanctified, and going to heaven. So therefore, we should be able to endure anything. Is that not true? For sure and for certain. I came not into the world to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What does that mean? Yahushua was willing to give it all up. Self-sacrifice. The search for authentic faith. That's what I'm on. And the search for authentic faith leads to authentic sacrifice. It leads to my acceptance of providence. It leads to me accepting chaos wherever I find it and returning it in peace. My goodness, there's so much. I mean, I think, like Paul, reflected on this altar service. And many would go, oh, no, he was reflecting on handcuffs and prison food. No, he wasn't. Not in my opinion. He was reflecting on the altar service. I beg you, therefore, it is written in Romans chapter 12, my Israelite brothers, by the mercy of Yahweh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to be holy. Here's my favorite word, to be acceptable to Yahweh which is your act of reasonable worship. It's reasonable. It's the reasonable thing to do. It's the, decent, it's the equitable thing to do. And be not conformed to mystery Babylon, but be transformed by renewing your mind and deprogramming your mind from all of this media lies and fear that you may discern, because otherwise you'll lose your discernment. Because you'll be so full of disinformation that you'll lose your discernment because you need to discern what is good. And that's the word of Yahuwah. That is the son of Yahuwah. That is Yahuwah. And you need to accept. Be acceptable. Accept. Acceptance. Acceptable. And even the perfect will of Yahuwah, it's providence. This terrible thing is happening to me. Oh. I have two options. Fight it argue against it, defend it. That's going to be mystery Babylon chaos, I can tell you that. Or, oh, this is just part of my life. It's providence. I'm going to accept it and accept it and accept it and I'm released from it. Paul explicitly flays it out for us in Romans. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Yahweh. Because Torah sacrifices were killed. But by one man's sacrifice, we become the living sacrifices. We don't have to die because he died. So many struggle with sin. Because they put their sin up on the altar of sacrifice and they get out a little penknife. And they start nicking it, you know, nicking that little pet, that sacrifice. And then they go back to their life and the sacrifice gets up off the altar and it walks right back into their life. 
because they're messing around with sin. We have to kill sin. We have to slay it. We have to slaughter our sin on the altar of sacrifice to make sure it doesn't get up off that altar and walk back into our life because that's a familiar spirit that we've just been tinkering around with with our pen knives. I remember when I was a young man and I had some problems and my wife called me on it and I said, well, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll be strong enough that I can occasionally do that. And she looked at me and she had tears in her eyes and she just shook her head. And she's like, Matthew, you don't get it, do you? And I was like, what? She's like, you don't get it. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you have got to lay it down. You have, and, and, and I, I listened and I laid that down and I slaughtered that sin and it has never walked back into my life because Yahuwah delivers us. But I was playing with my penknife for many years. We have to slay it wholly. We have to kill the sin. Otherwise, it will just crawl off that altar, especially when the heat starts to come, right? It's going to jump right off. Just when the heat starts to get to come and you're like, oh, I've got a lot of stress at work. Oh, yeah, I went out. And oh, yes, and a bit of heat comes in your life. And all of a sudden, that sin will walk right back into your life when the heat is on. Brethren, we're in a reprieve, but the heat's going to get turned up hot here soon. So we better be ready. We don't want all of a sudden be sinning everywhere because of the stress. Romans chapter 12, in the second verse, it is written, and be not conformed. I'm preaching to myself today, if you can't tell. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can have this sermon, knowing what is good, acceptable, and even perfect, the perfect will of Yahuwah. How do I find Yahuwah's will, though? I mean, isn't that, how do I know that it's Yahuwah's will? Is it just my idea? How do I know what Yahuwah's will is in my life? Well, we're to be transformed in our minds, in our thinking. I'm to be giving, to sacrifice. I'm to demonstrate to Yahuwah how I want to live as a living sacrifice. The will. The will of Yahweh is found in a basic quality, the quality of sacrifice. A right heart will make the right choices. Yahushua was able to accomplish the Father's will because he always considered himself a sacrifice. And if I consider my life as a sacrifice... And if I consider myself as a sacrifice, then I'm always going to be in Yahweh's will because I've got nothing to lose because I'm a sac. Hmm. That's freedom. And I love freedom. I love freedom. But I need to be free from me because I'm the worst tyrant of them all. My, my son Levi's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The sooner I come to align my life with the altar of sacrifice, 
the sooner I experience the presence of Yahweh that day, the sooner I'm not tempted to bypass the highest quality of faith in my life. Because I don't want to miss out of those moments where I have the presence of Yahweh in my life. I want that more and more. Because I know that I came through the door when I was 24 to Yahusha, but some time has passed since then. My hair has become gray. My beard has become gray too. But still, I still want to have that relationship of deepness, of sacrifice, of, of finding that altar daily. I don't want to be afraid. And I don't want fear to lead me. I want providence to lead me. And I realize that being a living sacrifice and not wanting to bypass that altar is the key. Acceptance of that sacrificial service is the key. It's the place of piousness. It's the place of provision. It's the place of providence. It's a must because the fires are coming and I will endure but I must find the place of sacrifice. And yes, I am a hard ass, and you may not like that, but that's a donkey, and I am allowed to use that word, and there's a teaching on that. And I believe it's called Matthew Nolan is kicking ass, and I just used it twice. But I, may, I want to be that gnarled piece of wood that can take the judgment of the world because I'm accepting the judgment of Yahuwah. Accepting. This is Akare Mot to me. And I pray that you are able to be blessed by some of it. And I know this is kind of a different way to teach. I've taught it so many times religiously. But right now, in this stage in my life, I, I'm trying to share what I'm gleaning from the Word, and I pray that it blesses you, because I feel that there's so much there. Of course, we have to read the corresponding texts that were read today, and also to see the true living sacrifice, we have to understand the transference of Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews Chapter 10, that is really the Malkitzedic. Akare Mot is found right there. If you have some questions, comments, redline me in the chat while I set up here, and um, we shall see what we've got. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Oh, all right, there we go. Hang on a second, hang on. Give me a breath. Okie dokie. Give me a minute here and we will get you lined up. Give me a second here, guys. Just got to load this up. Ah, oh, there we are. All right. Good, good stuff. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. We had a good chat, a good time this morning. 
on the um, Shabbat Fellowship. Remember, we've got Shavuot coming up. Um, also, um, do start to think about um, Sukkot. I mean, I know we just seems like we just had Sukkot, but um, it'll be upon us before we know it, won't it? Time just flies, doesn't it? My goodness. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Let's see. You want me to comment, Mickey? Thanks, Tamara. I'll send a hug to you also. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. All right. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all of you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you without money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Praise Yahuwah. Shabbat Shalom, Dutchman, and Shabbat Shalom, Libby Tube down there. Hello, Spiritual leprosy, our sins, is what defiles us when we do not submit our soul realm to his spirit within. Foods that we eat that are unclean can harm us physically and spiritually. Amen. Thank you so much. Great, great word there. Thank you. Teresa Smith, Shabbat Shalom, Teresa, John 21, and the 18th verse. When you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you, bring you where you did not wish. Oh, there we go. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Chris Delarosa, Shabbat Shalom, Chris. Um, Daniel's three brothers endured the fire of men because they embraced the fire of Yahuwah. Well, that's exactly it. Bound themselves as living sacrifices. Thank you. You got the message. Sean Allen Vickers, Shabbat Shalom. I believe you're in bend, brother. As in the days of Noah, tomorrow being the seventh day of the second month, would you say that we are going into the ark called Eagle's Wings or coming out in the 10 days of the 27th? Well, I don't know. That's a lot for me to ponder right now. I don't know. Oh, um, Sweenet, Sweenet, Swenet, Sweenet, Swenet, Swenet. Shabbat Shalom, Swenet, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Thank you a million for this lesson. I'm in tears because I needed to hear this desperately. Oh, praise Yahuwah. Oh, if, if there's one, one that is blessed, it was worth the whole, the whole conundrum, wasn't it? Timing is everything. Thank you, Chris. I mean, Sean. Uh, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Much to consider, much to consider. We don't want to be smoked like Nadab and Abihu because they were hollow in their service. Hollow in their service. My um, Joshua here just got accosted yesterday on the, on the side of the street by the gospel guy here. There's a gospel guy who's got a sandwich board here in town. And, you know, I used to engage with the Jehovah Witnesses on the street and the Mormons. and But, they, you know, I found that they don't like talking to me because they always call the elders over and it just becomes... They're not, they're not teachable, you know. But it, again, Joshua, yesterday, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you're dealing with hollow wood, right? 
I mean, this guy was the gospel guy, was in his late 50s, and Joshua was, what, 18? And Joshua was schooling him on the commandments of Yahuwah and the Sabbath. And it's hollow wood, and it's not going to be able to endure and cannot be able to endure because it's hollow wood. It's, it's got to be gnarled. You've got to be gnarly to survive. You've got to be gnarly. And you know that we are gnarly here at Torah to the tribes. What a bunch of old gnarly woodsmen and woodswomen. All right. Bobby Sue, Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Swen it. I was about to jump off the altar. I gave up a managerial position in order to keep Sabbath. Things are hard. I was wondering if I made the right decision. I asked Yahweh to help me, and I hear this. You made the right decision. Good on you. Praise you. It was a living sacrifice, and you offer it as a sacrifice unto Yahweh. You can say, you know, Yahweh, I really wanted this job, and I really wanted this, but you know what? I'm giving it up because I want you more, and I want your commandments more, and Yahweh will bless that. I know he will. I know he will. He always does. Mm -hmm. All right. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. One of my favorite Bible verses, Johnny Ambrose says, is 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. And then Megan says in Job chapter 32, verse 8, But truly, it is the spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty that gives him understanding. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Um, what else have we got going on here? Ah, I love Hebrews chapter 4 for the promise of rest, Johnny says. And Yohanan says, Shabbat fellowship blessings, brother. That was an excellent word to ponder as your past teach two teachings have been. Thank you. A little bit pondering I have been the past couple of teachings, you know. I must admit, I must admit. Yah's mercy to you. Thank you. I need, I need Yah's mercy. And you guys know that for sure and for certain. Praise Yahusha. And Adriamus MacDonald says, Any sacrifice to our Yahweh is priceless and bring the most rejoice in my life. And then Libby says, the, what, This one is for Moshe. Psalm 119, verse 1. Aleph. Blessed are the perfect in the way who walk in the Torah of Yahweh. That's for you, Moshe. That's from Libby. And my boy Moshe is manning the whole command deck all by himself today. What a blessing. He has been trained up and he's manning this whole system. Is all my firstborn, my backhaul right today. I'm so proud of what Yahweh has done in your life, son. And uh, truly, truly blessed. Truly blessed. Oh, 16. My goodness. Well, that's it, brethren. I am going to finish with the Aaronic benediction and blessing over all of you. 
Remember, TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Connect, 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 connect. Feast, Sabbath, Shabbat fellowship, men's prayer, women's prayer, gatherings, gatherings, gatherings. We are in the ministry of gathering the 12 tribes of Israel. That's you that are scattered abroad. Yevarechacha Yahuwah vayishmerecha yeyer Yahuwah panavelecha vichonecha yesa Yahuwah panavelecha vayasim lecha lecha Shabbat Shalom.